We went on retreat this last couple of days, as I've already shared and you've heard, and it was, again, a different venue, a different uh, kind of list of activities, but we had a real, a, a real fun time, especially, again, as Darren kind of mentioned, just watching the kids playing around and having a, a special time together. And, uh, we, you know, we've, we've gone on this retreat for a number of years, and I may say this every year when we come back, I don't know, but I, I just felt... In particular, maybe with some of the just the dynamics going on in the life of our church, some of what we were just talking about here in the front, um, that, that I just needed to say with clarity this morning, and even spend some moments of my message here this morning, just to say with clarity that while we went on a retreat the last couple of days, that we are uh, far from being in retreat mode as uh, the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, in this particular expression, in this particular body, this particular church family. Um, whenever we come into a, a summer season, not just out of a church retreat or when you have an associate pastor kind of moving on, but anytime we come into a summer season, I'm reminded of a, uh, of a story that my dad told me a long time ago. And he was the pastor of a church in Idaho that was on the campus of a Nazarene college. And it was, I mean, it was even called College Church of the Nazarene. And so it was very interconnected with the university there. And a lot of faculty, a lot of students came and were a part of that church. And it was the first summer that he had uh, served at in, in that church. When he, when he came to the, the first week after commencement, after the end of the, that school year, he walked into the, the sanctuary, it was this big sanctuary, and he noticed that the facilities crew had pulled this curtain across the front of the balcony. Maybe some of you heard me share this story before, but you know, they had pulled this curtain across the, the balcony, basically you know, blocking it off from anybody sitting up in the, the balcony area. Now, was this a, you know, a practical idea? Yeah, I, most of the college students who attended that church and drove up the attendance were going to be gone for the summer. And so this is a practice that the church had had in effect for several years. Just whenever they didn't want people sitting up in the balcony, you know, let's all squeeze down onto the floor level. So for several years they had done this. It was a very practical idea. Very, you know, maybe they didn't open up the air conditioning vents up. I mean, it was very logical. But was this a a kingdom-minded move or mentality? Probably not. And so my dad told me that he, you know, first summer, pretty new on the job, be careful with this, Jake, but he went to the, he went to the facilities crew. You've got to watch out for those facilities people too, by the way. But he went to the facilities crew and he said, do you think it might be okay if before Sunday we just, we just took that curtain, took it down, and throw it in the dump. <laughs> and I'm not sure he added that part, but that, that was the mentality that he was sharing with me. Because in his opinion, far be it from the church to determine what God is going to do in the size and the numbers and the attendance and the spirit of that congregation by placing a curtain up and limiting the seating capacity. It would almost be like for us, if this, it's summertime, People are going to be gone. Things are happening. So we're going to just wall off this area. Sorry, you guys. Uh, but uh, we, wouldn't, we would never do that, right? 
But we've even done some things like this over here. We, we just recently, maybe a year or two ago, we decided that we're not going to stack any chairs over here. We used to have a stacks of chairs. We're just going to put them all out. We're just going to believe if God wants to fill those seats with people, then, then he'll do it. So we are not in retreat mode. We are in forward march mode. In fact, I was talking with a friend of mine this week. She's a, a vice president at another university, another Nazarene university, not the one in Idaho and not the one in San Diego, but... Um, she's in the enrollment services uh, division, she's the new vice president, and she came to uh, her first summer, and after commencement and summer beginning, some of the people in her office came to her and said, yeah, can we talk a little bit, you know, we've got a few things to share with you, and she said, yeah, that would be fine, love to, love to talk with you, what, what do you got going on? And there were representatives of the workers in her apartment, they said, well, you know, the VP before you, he had a summer schedule, and we're wondering if you would be open to uh, a similar proposition. And uh, she said, well, well, what does the summer schedule entail? And they said, well, we, you know, we would come in at 8.30 instead of, nine, or instead of 8 o'clock, and she could kind of, by the way they were sharing, uh, hear them, that suggestion meaning it was going to be somewhere between 8.30 and 9, actually. And, uh, and I, on Fridays, actually, we don't come in at all. And we, we, since we don't come in on Fridays, they didn't say this, but the insinuation was we have casual Friday every other day of the week as well. And uh, she said, well, let, let me just have a little bit of time to think about that. We have staff meeting tomorrow, and I'll come back, and I'll give you an answer. And uh, so she went and thought about it, and she decided that came up with this plan that if they have met all of their goals for the week in terms of, you know, student recruitment doesn't end in the summer. If they've met all their goals for recruiting students for the university by Thursday at noon, then they can leave it Friday at noon. So a little bit of a compromise, and uh, they all seem happy. In fact, I was with, a, with her in a meeting on Thursday, and she was getting text messages saying, we've met our goal, and they were all excited. Um, but the point of that is that, that these folks in our office, good folks, I'm sure, but we're in, are in a bit of a retreat mindset, a little bit of a retraction, kind of pull back, kind of hold on, kind of sustain, kind of make it through until the fall kind of mentality. And I just want to be really careful and share with us a little bit this morning that, that, uh, that we want to be pretty careful with that as a church family. Now, without a doubt, our, our personal schedules are different during the summer, um, you know, we're, we're, some of us will be traveling, it's a little warmer outside, school's out for those of you who are in school, those of you who have kids in school, maybe things are a little bit of a different dynamic, again, there'll be some vacations, some short, some short trips, even around our church life, uh, our church family, our growth, many of our growth groups are taking a little bit of a break, potentially, and our, our Sunday school for our kids, they're all meeting together uh, to do their missions program, all the ages are together, um, and again, on top of that, we have some, some uh, transition happening in our, um, in, our, in our church family. But again, I, I want to just emphasize for these moments this morning that what would seem to be a, a time for retraction and maintenance mode, again, holding on for the fall, is not that. It's a time, even in the summer, for the church of Jesus Christ to, to move forward. Now, I, I realize this may be my positivity speaking. That's one of my strengths. And uh, it, it may just be leaking and uh, seeping 
really strong here this morning. It may just be maybe that, that attitude that I have that, uh, that all things, you know, can, we can do this and, and it can get done no matter what the setting. But I just kind of believe, and I think that most of you would agree with me, that, that it's always a good time for forward movement in the kingdom. It's always a good time to be taking steps of advancement uh, in the body of Christ. Now, I, 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 I came across a story in the book of Acts this week. I was, I've been reading the book of Acts, and there's so many stories within the book of Acts that, that demonstrate and show the church in forward progress, forward motion, right? And, uh, and one of these is in chapter 11, and I just really want to, uh, to read it with you and have you read portions of it with me as we, uh, as we look at this. And, and, and I think it's particularly helpful because this little story in the book of Acts gives some, some specific things that were going on that I think led very beautifully and powerfully to the to the possibility for the church to, to keep moving forward in what you'll see was a very difficult, far more difficult than anything we're facing this first Sunday of summer, than, uh, uh, than, or that we'll probably ever face in our lifetime. So it's chapter 11 and begins at verse 19, and I'll read through to verse 30. But I want to just kind of break it up into some, uh, some chunks here for us to look at. So the first, is just the first couple of verses Verses 19 uh, through 21, I think. So let me read this for us. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia. Just leave it right there for a second. Can you go back? Sorry. Uh, Those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. If you have your Bible, just flip back to Acts chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible, I'll read it for you. The, the, The section titled here is The Church Persecuted and Scattered. Acts chapter 7 was this account of Stephen, the first martyr in the, in the church of Jesus, uh, sharing his testimony and then being executed for being a follower of Christ. And just at the end of that whole story, and at the beginning of chapter 8, there's this, this verse, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and, except, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. On that day, there's this, they're on the run, in a sense. They're, they're going underground. They're, they're going out because of the threat that was um, so real in that place in Jerusalem. So they'd been scattered in connection with what had happened to Stephen, his, his uh, martyrdom. Traveled as far as Phoenicia. Now you can go on, thanks. Cyprus and Antioch. Telling the message only to the Jews. Now, I find this really interesting. They were scattered. They were on the run. But what did they do while they were on the run? Told the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jewish people. And keep going. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Telling them. The good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, in my Bible, again, back now to chapter 11, um, the, uh, the section title says, The Church in Antioch. 
Is that what yours says too? Maybe if you have a Bible, it's the second title, the church in Antioch. Now, that, that's kind of interesting because what we find out um, as we read this is that um, this really wasn't much of a church to begin with. This is just some folks who, uh, who began as a core group who were actually on the, on the run after one of their own, Stephen, had been executed. Uh, they were in danger. They were persecuted. But they had decided that though the odds were against them, though this deck was stacked against them, they were going to not only save themselves, but they were going to try to save others in the process. And they began to share the word with the Jewish people around them and, and to spread the good news of Jesus. But they were not even just content to share the good news with the Jewish folks, but they were they were pressing on beyond that across cultural boundaries to share the message and the hope of Jesus Christ with the Gentiles, with the Greeks as well. Uh, this was revolutionary for this day. And uh, just earlier, or just, uh, yeah, just earlier in chapter 10 was this whole story about, you, maybe some of you remember about how Peter was called and and, and God made it clear that he was going to be able to share the message with the, with the Gentiles as well. And here are these who had been run out of Jerusalem doing it as well. I love this turn of events. And, and it's said there at the end of the passage that the hand of the Lord was on these people. That is so evidently clear and beautiful. The hand of the Lord was on these people in the sense that this, this great turn of events, they're being persecuted. Are you getting this? Are you understanding what's happening? They're being persecuted, and yet in the midst of this persecution, they're able to turn it into this great missionary endeavor that is spreading the gospel of Jesus beyond even their own people group uh, on, on crossing these, these cultural boundaries. At a time, in other words, when it would have been good for these folks to kind of lay low. Just, you know, if you would have been the leader of this group, you would have said, now just Get out there and kind of keep your head down for a while. Just lay low. Just keep quiet. They were not content to do so, but pressed on. What the story shows is that uh, when the church is marching forward, it is consumed with a passion for its mission. These folks were consumed with a passion for their mission. If a mission is clear and passion for that mission is present, then great things are soon to follow. You would have expected, again, a little retraction, a little self-protection, a little just wait until the, the scene clears up a little bit and there's not so many people out looking for us. Uh, but you don't get any of that from these folks. Uh, they just keep pressing forward. And again, Scripture tells us that the Lord's hand was with them and the next part of that, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. God's favor often comes, well, it does come the most when there's passion for the mission that's present. And I think this story just reminds us that, that I think God often, and, and Scripture would attest to it uh, throughout really, that God often does His best work when when the circumstances of the situation is at, is at its most difficult or in its most trying uh, uh, stretch. God often does his best work through his people. It's the old, when one door 
closes another one, opens up idea. For them, persecution, martyrdom. For us, summertime, <laughs> transition, change. But in the midst of these sorts of circumstances, God does his best work. I love one writer compared the gospel to a wildfire, and not such a great illustration now concerning how we, we, we know the power of a wildfire, but maybe it, it makes it even that stronger. The gospel's like a wildfire. He said, stamp it out in one place, it will ignite in another. This is the gospel that we proclaim. Not, not just, um, it, it demands not just our faithfulness, not merely our consistency, but it demands our passion as well. It demand, I, I, I was reminded of our friend when we traveled to Ethiopia a few years ago. We met this guy, and I've shared with many of you this guy that we met. His name was Blackie. And indeed, he was a dark-skinned fellow from Somalia. And, and what an amazing friend he was. But what had happened is that they had, the Church of the Nazarene had asked him to leave Somalia because so many of our Nazarene leaders were experiencing persecution and were threatened with martyrdom and death. And so against his wishes, really, Blackie had been pulled out, in a sense, from Somalia and had landed there in Ethiopia, along with lots of other refugees, both from Sudan and Somalia, in that horn of Africa that's so interesting. But here's Blackie. He, he was not content to just kind of live the life of a refugee. Not that that's such, such a great life by any means. But he wasn't content just that, well, I made it out, and I'm safe, and I'll just kind of bide my time here in Ethiopia where it's safe and I'm protected until I'm allowed to kind of go back into my own country. No, instead, what did he do? He invested himself into the Somalian refugee community and began to find ways to work with Somalian refugees. And, and he was the one who connected our group that was there, so we got to play this this soccer game with this team of Somalian uh, kids that were there, and we ended up having a little bit of money left over, so we were able to buy them some new soccer jerseys, and, and, and Blackie was just such an inspiration to me in that moment, and continues to be, that, that, that the call of the gospel and the passion that we were to have leads us not to just wait until things are good, not, not to wait until all the circumstances are you know, right on, to, to do the work of the gospel, but right in the midst of, of the situation in which we find ourselves, to give ourselves fully, passionately in that season, in that stretch. Our, um, our church is made up of some of the most faithful people that you will ever know. Look around you. Yet you're bound to see one or two or 10 or 20 or 50 here this morning. Faithful folks. And Hear me right, most of the time, most of the time being faithful is a great thing, all right? I, I think, hopefully you know where I'm going with this a little bit. Most of the time, being faithful is a wonderful thing. The problem comes, and I hope you'll agree with me on this, the problem comes when our faithfulness replaces our passion. Oh, they're so faithful. Oh, I'm so faithful. Uh, we're, we're so faithful. We just do it and we keep doing it and we stick with it and we're faithful. But is there any life? Is there passion? 
Is there enthusiasm? Is there expectation? Is there a desire and a confidence that God is not going to just to honor our faithfulness, but that he was going to do something beyond what we could ever even expect or imagine? And we're going to give ourselves fully to what it is that he's making possible, fully to what it is that he is calling us to do. We're going to read this book and just start this book study in just a couple of weeks, our summer, summer book club we did last year um, with that book Radical, some of you remember. We're going to do another one just starting in a couple weeks. It's called Not a Fan. And I just wanted to kind of tease this out a little bit. It's called Not a Fan because what he's talking about in that book is that in the church, there's a lot of fans of Jesus. A lot of people who would say, yay, Jesus, I'm a fan. But his point is there's not a whole lot of people who would say, I'm a follower. I'm a passionate, committed, devoted follower of Christ that will go wherever it is that he leads me, no matter what the cost, no matter what it may mean for my life. I'm not a fan. I'm willing to be a follower. And I think about all the things going on in life, our church, Vacation Bible School coming up. We've got tremendous opportunities uh, right before us to, to not only be faithful, but to demonstrate a, a renewed passion like the folks in Antioch uh, had and, and are such a great example to us. Now, you can imagine that uh, when the folks from Jerusalem went out and began this new work and things were kind of going nuts up in Antioch and they were not only reaching the Jews, but they were reaching the Greeks and they were doing things that had never been done before in a sense. You can imagine that the, uh, the apostles who were back in Jerusalem maybe got a little bit concerned. It's kind of like, you know, the people at headquarters. If things start going a little nuts out in the field, then they got to send a representative out. And so that's exactly what the church in Jerusalem did. They said, all right, we got to send somebody up there to see what's going on, to check out what is happening in Antioch. So look at these next couple of verses. This is what they did. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number, again, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. I love this word about Barnabas. He turned out to be more than just your average guy from headquarters. He's got to be one of my favorite people in all of Scripture. If you're not too familiar with Barnabas... You need to just kind of look him up. I, I, I love the description of him here and in other places. He came to see what was going on, and he saw evidence of God at work, and he didn't question it. He didn't demand that they bring their ministry in line with headquarters' manual policy. He didn't demand that, that they bring before him you know, eyewitnesses to prove what was going on and, and show that it was an okay thing. He just looked out, and he saw, this is good. God is at work here in powerful, beautiful ways, and I'm not going to get in the way. In fact, he just, what the scripture tells us, he just jumped in and started encouraging people. I'm just picturing Barnabas just walking around, patting all the Antiochian Christians on the back and saying, good job. I don't know what you guys are doing here, but I love it. Keep doing it. 
whatever, you know, God, God's blessing and keep doing what you're doing in a beautiful and powerful way. And, and the part of the story reminds me in particular that if God's church is going to move forward, God's church is going to advance even in times of difficulty, even when the situation around it isn't the best, God is always going to bring the right people at the right time. The right people at the right time. And this is exactly what he'd done with the person of Barnabas. Barnabas was, uh, was the right person for just the right time. We know just a little bit about Barnabas from the, from the book of Acts. In chapter 4, uh, we learn that he was a, a, a Levite, a priest, but he had a plot of land. Somehow maybe he had married someone, or he, somehow he got a, a, a plot of land. But as was happening with the body of Christ in those days, he brought, he sold his plot of land, and he brought the money to the disciples. He said, whatever you need to do with it, here it is. And, and, uh, and um, so they start. actually his real name was Joseph, but they started calling him Barnabas. Barnabas just means a son of encouragement. And, uh, and so that's what he, he became. And then we read a little bit farther. I think it's up in like chapter 9. Uh, you remember Saul who became Paul. He, he was this great persecutor of Christians. But then he was encountered by Christ and transformed and, and called into ministry. But when Paul came back into Jerusalem, all the Christians were afraid of him, right? Because he'd persecuted him. He'd helped lead uh, the, the, the execution of Stephen, so all the Christians, especially the apostles, were afraid of him. Well, who was it that went out and helped him? It was Barnabas. Barnabas went out and connected with Saul and brought him to the apostles and vouched for him and said, this guy's okay. He's going to be all right. He might do some good things for the church. I don't know. Might be some good things that come out of him. He's the only one, and we read about it in these verses, he's the only one that the writer Luke, the writer of Acts, He's the only man that Luke actually calls a good man in all of the book of Acts. He was a son of encouragement. Maybe you can think about some of the folks in your life that have been just a tremendous voice or or just a person, an influence of encouragement. I've had a chance just the last couple weeks to see two of them from my life. I shared the story before when I was in seminary, I ruptured my spleen and I was out of work for about six weeks and it was just a nasty deal and none of these seminarians had any money, right? I mean, we were just poor, struggling students and, and I just remember one guy came and just, uh, you know, gave me 50 bucks and I was like, I don't want your money, man, I'm going to make it. And he goes, no, my wife and I talked about it and you, you have to take this. He was a tremendous son of encouragement to me and I saw that guy at a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and we got to just talk and hang out. What a, what a blessed time it was. I didn't bring it back up for him, um, but I looked at him, and he didn't know it, but, but he's been such a tremendous encouragement to me. I've actually told him about it several times in the past. I figured I didn't want to bring it up again, but uh, what a tremendous, and then I got to see Norm Shoemaker this week. Norm, who's been our consultant with that ME25. Norm's been speaking into my life since I was really born. I mean, he, since I was just a little kid, he's been speaking encouragement. And Norm's this brilliant pastor and spiritual leader. And Norm talks to me like I actually have something of value to add to his life, too. And I just, he just a tremendous encouragement into my life. And I trust that maybe 
uh, you have folks like that in your life as well. If there's one thing, perhaps, that the church needs today more than anything, it's people who will step up and say, I'm going to be a person of encouragement. I'm going to be the right person at the right time to speak a word of encouragement into a, a fellow brother or sister's life in, in great need. If you're looking, in other words, if you're looking for a biblical hero to follow this morning, and you haven't picked one out yet, may I submit Barnabas as a tremendous example. We did that ME25, speaking of that engagement uh, survey, and, and one of the lowest scores, I shared a little bit about this last night, but one of the lowest scores, it might have been the, either the lowest or the second lowest scores in our church uh, the last time we took this survey was this one. In the last six months, someone in my church has talked to me about the progress of my spiritual growth. One of the lowest. We, we ranked it 3.13. So on average, we, we circled just, just over a three. If you remember, it was a, a scale of one to five. Five being, yes, that's happened. One being, you know, no, that hasn't happened at all. Three being, actually, they say that three is kind of a soft no. It's the average, but it's kind of people nicely saying, no, nobody's actually talking to me about the progress of my spiritual health. They don't want to circle a two because they don't want to be mean, but uh, they circle a three. That, that's essentially where we, where we uh, came down. In, in the nation, um, it's 3.34. It's the lowest ranked question um, on, uh, actually the first time we took it, we had 3.13 and we went up to 3.34, so that's good. In the nation, it's actually 2.72. So this is, a, this is a tough issue in the life of not only our church, but churches around the world. And I wonder if it's because, you know, people just kind of think, well, you know, if, if I'm going to ask somebody or somebody's going to ask me about the progress of my spiritual growth and it's going to be like in an accusatory kind of on the witness stand kind of thing, you know, tell me about the progress of your spiritual growth. You know, like maybe like a dangling light shining over our face or this is kind of why we envision it. This way and so we don't do it. But what if we were to refashion that, that, that idea into, into the, uh, a sense in which we're, we're just asking each other these, these kind and genuine questions. Hey, tell me about something good that God's done in your life. Show me or, or, or just let me know about something that God's teaching you. What are, what are you learning? These are, I, I don't really care if you answer the question, right? I mean, we might not be able to connect How's, what God, what's God doing in your life with somebody asking me about my spiritual progress? And that's, that's not the point. But what if we were to ask these questions? Or what if this? What if you, when you see someone doing something, when you see someone acting kindly or growing or, or maybe just singing or worshiping or they do something up front or they're teaching a class or you see a child make a, a new step of faith, what if you were just to go to that person or write them a note and say, great job. I noticed, you know, at our school, we started doing that, our kids' school, the teachers started handing out slips that not only are detention slips or in-trouble slips, but, you know, you got caught doing something good slips. And what an what a encouragement that is when my kids come home from school and they say, here, Dad, sign this. It's a good one. And, uh, and I, you can just see their whole spirit being lifted. And what if we were to do that more and more. Boy, I'd really like to see that number come up next time we take this survey. And I know that's not all on me. It's, all, it's on us. And some of you are doing it so well. Let me be a son of encouragement to you who are doing it well. Um, but all of us, let's keep, 
let's keep uh, leaning in and, 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 and encouraging, being the right person at the right time. Some, uh, um, I, I'll just be honest with you, some, we're, we're going to need people like this more and more in the days to come. We're going to be leaning to the middle in new ways in the months uh, to come, and we're going to need people who are just going to say, uh, actually, you know, I think I'm the right person at the right time. I, I, and, and you might just need to say that to God today, and not knowing what that might mean for you, even in the next couple of months, but just being willing to be committed to what it is and where it is that God would place you. Well, one last section, then I want to just wrap this up quick, but one last section of this story, just a quick finish, uh, verses 25 to 30. Let me go ahead and read these for us. Barnabas went to Tarsus. Things are going so well at Antioch, so Barnabas took a little time off and he went over to Tarsus. Who was at Tarsus? Saul. I'm going to go look for my buddy Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. I love this. The disciples were, first, were called Christians first at Antioch. Interesting. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Disciples, each according to his ability, all those folks there up in Antioch, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The, uh, the, the last thought that I just want to share here is that churches that are moving forward, churches that are taking ground for the kingdom, churches that are kind of in this forward march, they, they look for powerful ways to form partnerships that make an impact. Partnerships that make an impact. That's what Barnabas and Saul did here. I already told you the whole story about how Barnabas, you know, introduced Saul. Well, now he knew that this Saul guy's got some gifts, he's got some talents, he's got some abilities that are needed here in Antioch. There's some people here that are converts, but they're not yet disciples. And I know just the guy who can, I can go and get and bring to this place and, and I kind of sense it, you know, I'm kind of in this strengths mode here this morning, but I kind of sense that, that Barnabas is thinking I can take my includer and my positivity kind of strengths, and I can go get this guy with maybe um, achiever and input and, uh, and bring us together, and we'll be able to just kind of accomplish great things throughout this, this year together. And, and not only... Can we have converts then in Antioch, these Greeks and these Jews that are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we can, we can help build disciples, we can nurture them and teach them so that, so that the time will come when they're known as, as, as followers of Christ, as Christians. I'm not sure if that was a derogatory term handed out up there or, or a, a positive note, but whatever it was, it stuck question I have for you is who are you partnering with? I, I'm an includer in positivity and Jake's input and achiever among several others, but it's been, a, it's been just an amazing joy to partner with Jake over these six and a half years. And, and an amazing joy to watch as you partner together in so many different ways. I love it that we have our kids 
ministry teams set up in duo, you know, in tandems, in duets or duos. And uh, Jesus, you know, he, how did he send them out? Two by two, you know, he sent his disciples out in partnerships. And, and I think that's so important. So who are you partnering with? And, and the last part of that is very important too because it was like the people there in Antioch witnessed Barnabas and Saul partnering together. And so when word came that the Christians who were, were struggling down in Judea and they were going to be facing a famine, what, what is it that the Antiochian Christians decided to do? They said, well, we'll partner with them as well. Let's take up an offering. Let's support our brothers and sisters because in the world in which we live with challenges before us and difficulties that we're facing and situations that are arising all the time, we know that we cannot do this on our own, that we need partners. And we're going to offer ourselves in partnership and we're going to receive that same type of partnership. Well, I had this up here inadvertently pressed earlier. We have this back in the office um, this is the Staples easy button, if you don't know. And uh, because, you know, sometimes we don't know what we're doing, and uh, suddenly the Lord will make it happen, and it'll come clear, and there's just nothing else you can do. But that was easy. I mean, it just, right, Lola, some of our, you know, our office help, and I know Sherry's maybe hit it a time or two, and just, you know, we, it just, suddenly it just happens. Now, I, I just wanted to bring this out here because, um, Forward march, moving ahead as a church in a time of challenge, in a time of transition, in a time of, of, uh, of even um, questioning or unknown, will take much more than just hitting the button. It would be nice if I could say, hey, church, forward march. That was easy. And off we go. But it's not the case. So I have to put this down where I cannot touch it. What I do know is that when we ask the Holy Spirit to stir a passion within us in a new way, when we say to that same Holy Spirit, I am ready and I am willing to be the right person for the right time wherever it is that you place me, and when we say again and when we allow that Holy Spirit to us and to partner us and to multiply, not just double, but multiply our efforts, then the church can advance. Let's stand together, can we? God, thanks for, uh, for these moments where we can just, again, reflect and, and think about uh, who you are and what it is that you're doing and how it is that your kingdom is coming and how it is that your kingdom is advancing and how it is that we so want to be a part of what it is that you're doing. And so God, as we as a church family enter into this summer season and as we think about some of the different transition and some of the things that are happening within the life of our church and as we uh, just really accept and define that, that reality, God, we're, we're very aware of it and yet we don't want the circumstances that are all around us to dictate who we're going to be. We want your kingdom to define that. And so we, uh, we march forward today in your strength. Maybe some here just need to say, I, I'm, uh, I'm ready and willing. I'll be that person. I don't know where it'll be yet or what it will entail, but, but, but God, I, I'm ready to be the, the right person at 
at the right time. I'm open to what it is that you might, even if you bring me or if you invite me into some sort of partnership that I could have never seen before, then I'm ready for for whatever it is that you might bring before me. And I want to do it, God, with a, a stirred passion. Some might say here this morning that, that we've been faithful, but our passion has waned. God, stir it again in our hearts. Awaken us to your possibilities, the hope of what it is that you're doing in our day. We pray this in Jesus' name.